Good morning. The scripture this morning will be from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. It's Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who shows discord, sows discord among his brethren. Good morning. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us today. You know, there's folks from different parts of the state, some from the community. We've got little Elijah over here for the first time, though he's not technically a visitor. It is his first visit. And Tom and Karen, it's so great to see you folks. It's so glad, glad to have you with us. Tom and Karen are with us from the Mesa congregation, where they've been ever since they left us years ago. But it's uh, always good when you come back. It's great to see you. And uh, just welcome all to our assembly today. The Ninth Commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, states, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, which explicitly, of course, would prohibit perjury, but even more than that, the law of Moses intends for uh, a much greater prohibition. Leviticus 19.11 says, Do not steal, do not deal falsely, do not lie to one another. The covenant community of Israel knew that they weren't simply to refrain from perjury, but they were to stay far away from every form of deception in their community. And so because of that, we kind of sometimes restate the ninth commandment as, you shall not lie. Let me ask, how many of you are aware that lying is wrong? Oh my, well then some of you really need this lesson, you didn't put your hands up. Okay, number one, lying is wrong, if you didn't know that. Number two, how many of you have never told a lie? Oh, boy. I know that's not true. (laughs) Well, we have one young man who says he has, and I will have to talk to him after about this. I was going to say, don't make this your first one. But, uh, okay, there better be a story behind this one. I think most of us have probably lied. Now, Luke hasn't, and Elijah hasn't, and Inez, and there's some little ones. There. got some little children over here. But uh, it kind of happens, with, comes with the territory. We kind of expect it, don't we? we just, it just happens. Uh, and we're not terribly surprised that we've run into lying. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a politician who got caught into, in some kind of issue. I can't remember now what it was. I don't remember who the politician was, but as he was kind of getting called out, he said, well, anybody in this situation would have lied. You know, and I thought, well, yeah, that's, that's the way it was looked at. If you, if, and if you had been caught, wouldn't you have lied? It was like, well, sure, anybody would lie. Are you shocked when you find out a politician has lied? I don't know that you terribly are shocked by that. I mean, scientists sometimes falsify research so that they can keep their money coming in, and pharmaceuticals throw out four or five tests on, on drugs, but put one forward to the FDA that is favorable for them. We pad our resumes, we lie on tests at school or cheat on them. There's all sorts of ways that we lie and deceive. It just kind of happens, don't we? We just find ourselves doing it. Criminals lie. TV evangelists can lie. Missionaries can misrepresent the truth in their newsletters. Preachers can lie. Brothers and sisters in Christ, husbands and wives, parents to children. We just lie. 
people are just prone to lie. And maybe it would be better if it was kind of like Pinocchio. Maybe if it was like Pinocchio, we'd knock it off. But I have a feeling we'd probably all just look more grotesque than we presently do. I, I just don't know that that would actually stop it. But we lie. And we lie for a variety of reasons. We lie to avoid embarrassment. We lie because we don't want to get caught out in something. We lie at work to save face. We lie at times because we don't want to bear up the consequence that we probably deserve, but we don't want to. And then, of course, we lie about all of the other commandments that we break. We have a way of just lying. We... uh, We just want to get out of trouble and we don't want to be embarrassed. And we can lie sometimes without blushing, without batting an eye. It just can kind of become almost a second nature to people. I came across this article. I couldn't, I so identified with it, unfortunately. The man was writing about his child. He said, the words were out of my mouth before I could stop myself. I was only 11 at the time, but I knew better than to take credit for work that I hadn't done. And yet the look on my mother's face as she read the poem on her homemade Mother's Day card and then asked me if I was the author somehow changed my no into a yes. As in many cases of lying, this one quickly spiraled downward. It wasn't that I had to add lie upon lie in order to maintain my story, But my mom's delight over the poem that I'd allegedly written quickly led to compliments from the slew of friends and relatives to whom she had shown the now infamous card. And with those compliments came the ever-increasing weight of guilt. I felt trapped. It seemed too late to tell the truth, but as the lie ballooned in front of my 11-year-old eyes, all I wanted was an opening, an opportunity to set the record straight. And when my mom finally did find out that I'd lied, it was a terrible moment. And yet I was also relieved. And I vowed never to lie again. Maybe you can identify with some of the dynamics of what happens when you start down that pathway. It's that ongoing struggle that typically people have of being people of integrity. And I think... What happens when you forget to advance the slides? You have to get the Happy Mother's Day card up there. You would think that just being guilty, like that, the man who wrote the card or who didn't write the card, that just the fear of being ashamed or the guilt or just the desire to want to be a better person would be enough to, to see that you would never lie again. But as he goes on to write in the article, he did lie again. It wasn't enough. And you know what happens is that those motivations, as strong and powerful as they may seem in the moment, they don't stand up against the assault that comes against us and the greater desire to avoid embarrassment or to get out of trouble or to avoid the consequences of something that can run right over that and lead us into another lie. But what does have power to work, what can help us truly become people of integrity, is to have a desire to know our God And to truly become like Him. And make God the center of our journey 
and our goal in life, to become like Him. And that really is what's at the heart of the first reason I believe that God forbade lying and deception in the covenant community. Israel as a covenant community was not to lie because God is a God of truth. The God who brought them out of Egypt, the God who is, who is before them and giving them these commands and entering into a covenant with them is a God who does not lie. He does not deceive. He is a God of truth. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, God never lies. Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should lie. Hebrews 6, 18, it is impossible for God to lie. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the truth. John 14, 17, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are truth. It's not as if God's hands are tied, like He wants to lie and just can't pull it off. It's that God's nature is one of integrity and righteousness and holiness, and God does not deceive, and God cannot lie, because it is against His very essence. Jesus, in John chapter 8, when He is speaking about the truthfulness of His own words, you may remember that He points to the devil as the father of all liars, as a liar himself. He says lying is his native language, and those that follow him lie. So when we think about this issue of lying, integrity, we recognize what's at stake. It's really whose child are we going to be? Who are we going to follow? And God calls Israel to be like him, and he calls us in the church to be like him. Lying is wrong because it goes against the very nature of God. And it also was wrong for Israel because lying would destroy their community. What happens in Israel if people go to court and to have some dispute settled when they lie against one another? What happens in their families? What happens if lying and distrust spreads across the, the family of Israel? Then they're going to come to nothing because the lying will destroy trust and the community itself will fail. If Israel is going to survive as a covenant community, she needs to be a people of integrity who honor God because God is a God of integrity and truthfulness and then find within themselves the unity of community that can only exist when people will tell each other the truth. Think about it. Lying goes against the very essence of God. Lying destroys the people of God. No wonder God hates it, as was read a moment ago. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. God hates these things because they are destructive to relationships and to people and they are a rejection of His very nature. You and I, we all know people, some people in extreme cases, who have completely destroyed their lives through deceit. And we also know of times when someone has destroyed or hurt their family because of deception. And unfortunately, there are times in the body of Christ and the family of God where people in the church and where entire congregations have been hurt because people have lied because of deceit. 
This is something God hates and calls us to reject and to never do, to never lie. What are we talking about when we're talking about what is lying? Well, there are some pretty obvious things. Anytime we intentionally speak something that is not true, deceiving someone in the process, we're lying. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The check is in the mail. Well, we don't say that anymore because we pay electronically. That used to be one of the big one of the big lies. The check's in the mail. I already sent. You don't need to worry about it when the check hadn't been written at all. Um, you know, he's not here when he's here. I didn't do it when I did do it. I did not throw the baseball through your window, Mrs. Hayes. Uh, I don't know where that lie came from, but it's just one that pops into my head right now. But when you did throw the baseball through Mrs. Hayes' front window... Uh, you know, I can't come into work today. I'm just feeling sick. Yeah, there, you know, there's all kinds of things we say that are not factually true, and we usually can find a reason for justifying it. I have a, I have a lie from my past. I, I wish I could have raised my hand, but I've lied, and I don't ever want to again. But I even lied in terms of uh, my work. When I was young, can we just say I was really young? Can I say, can I put it off on youth? When, when I was a young preacher, way, way back, um, before there was electricity, I think, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, I was a pleaser. I know that comes really hard for some of you to believe. Like, he's a pleaser? You've got to be joking. But, you know, I would say, oh, sure, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. I would, you know, I was a 22-year-old preacher. I'd do anything that I was asked to do. And, uh, of course, I never had, to, I didn't have time to do it, or I forgot to do it, or it didn't get done, or whatever. And then that moment would come and say, hey, did you get that done? And I didn't get that done. And then I would find myself stretching the truth to the breaking point. And I find it interesting that when I think about this time in my life, that the phrase I use to describe what I did is stretching the truth to the breaking point. Because that doesn't sound so bad, does it? I'm just stretching the truth to the point that it breaks, which means I lied. I would say, yeah, I did, and meaning that oh, the next day it would get done, I'd remember. It was a terrible thing. It was an absolutely terrible thing. And I told myself, I don't want to let people down. I don't want to, I don't want to let people down. They think it. And the truth of the matter was not that I didn't want to let people down. The truth of the matter was that I didn't want to be seen less in their eyes. I didn't, see, I didn't want to be seen as someone who had failed. I didn't want to be seen as somebody who didn't do what needed to be done. And I hate that about my past. And I remember when I was finally convicted of that, and the first time someone said, did you do that? Did you finish that? And I said, no, I forgot. I'll try to do it this week. There was that, just that moment, just a pinpoint moment where I was like, oh, I'm sorry about that. But you know what? It was so liberating. It was so liberating to tell the truth. How Satan deceives us about lying. It's just terrible what he does to us about that. I know when Jesus said that you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free, he wasn't talking about that. But it's a kind of a principle to me. When you speak the truth, you're liberated. Because you're speaking things that actually are, and there's no need to make excuse. There's no need to, to, to remember what has been said in the past. And it struck me, not only then, but 
throughout all my life how we can lie about some of the most trivial things. Sometimes we'll lie about things that really don't even matter. Sometimes we say things that aren't true, but it was a mistake. We thought it was true, and it was a mistake. That's not a lie. That's not a deception. But you can actually speak factual truth and lie. Years ago, I don't know if he was president or running for president, but a famous person that most of you will know from the question, he was asked, have you ever smoked marijuana? And the famous answer was, I have never, there were, more, there were multiple famous answers to this question, but the first one was, I have never broken the laws of this country. Uh, which we found out later meant that he smoked marijuana when he was in Europe. But, uh, you know, but, but it was like, you can say, you know, you can say, the, you can say something that is factually true and deceive people all the time. On your way to a meeting, you're supposed to call Jim before you went to the meeting. You forgot to call Jim. So you're walking down the hallway into the meeting and you say, hey, Jim. Then you walk into the meeting and they say, did you call Jim? And they say, well, I called him, but he never answered. You know, and if you've never done, I'm sure, now, I'm surely not the only one who ever did that. But so if you hear me just kind of going, hey, hey, you know what? No, I'm just kidding. Not really. But I mean, we can do all kinds of things to kill. Hey, that's the truth. That's the truth. You know, it's just always struck me. How often, when people are lying, how often they get upset when you don't believe them, when you when you when you call them out on it. But that's that's just maybe uh, that's a little maybe a lesson for another time. Um, there are partial truths. There are things that you can leave out. Sometimes you can be asked a question. You can tell part of the truth, but not the whole truth. If you know what I mean. Very insignificant thing. I've been on about a thousand diets in my lifetime and oftentimes ask my wife to kind of be my accountability person, which is not a fun role, I can tell you. And so, you know, I'll come home, oh, what did you have for lunch? Because she has permission to ask me that question. And I say, oh, I had a glass of iced tea and a salad. And then I'm just hoping and hoping and hoping she doesn't say, oh, and what else did you have? Because I don't want to tell her about the hamburger and onion rings, but I'll tell you what, my wife always asks, what else did you have? I, maybe that's more of a reflection on me than her, but, but you know, that you can leave something out. You can, you can answer a question partly and you know. It's not that you, you know, that you have to say everything about everything you know, but you know that there's more you need to tell. And if you aren't telling that, you really aren't answering the question. But if it somehow serves us in some way, we can leave that out. Sometimes we can conceal things. And that doesn't mean we have to tell everybody everything that's ever happened or whatever. But there's a concealment that speaks of deception. And that is a selfish concealment. I would suggest Abraham's concealment of Sarah to Pharaoh and then later to Abimelech when he gets called out pretty harshly by these pagan men is God's way of telling us, uh, Abraham, you shouldn't have done that. Because what was Abraham concealing the identity of his wife for? Because he was afraid for his own skin. Because he was afraid that something would happen to him and he didn't trust God in that situation. And he gets called out on that. Sometimes we don't tell somebody everything. I don't tell my wife everything. There are things that I find out sometimes that I, I know my wife wouldn't want to know that would be a burden to her to know. But you have to be careful with concealment because it's so much about intent. You know, I, I don't want to burden her. So, well, 
And the fact that I haven't made the house payment for three months, I don't want to burden her with that. I mean, there's some things that you're, when you're concealing, it isn't because you're trying to just help someone. It's because you're trying to protect yourself. We have to be careful. So many of these things, I find, we are so good at rationalizing it. I think we have, uh, we're just experts, human beings I'm speaking of. I'm not pointing my finger at any of you. But I think Satan has just, can just inspire us with brilliant rationalizations and justifications and minimizing this as if it were no big deal when it is such an important matter to be a man or woman of integrity and to tell the truth. Another way that we can do this is through the way that we talk about other people. When we spread rumors or when we spread slanderous things, when we spread things that are are not true to people. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, you, you bite and devour one another, take care lest you consume each other. And sometimes we can do that to one another. We can say things that are hurtful. And Now, for those of you who are thinking, hey, when I gossip, it's the truth, okay? When I gossip, it's not lying, so you can't get me on that one. Well, remember what Tim read just a minute ago from Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So, it's wrong for more than one reason to talk about someone who's not present. And if you're talking about someone with that kind of an intent... uh, That's sinful. Whatever we call it, however we excuse it. And when it comes to talking about others and saying things about people, we can be, again, very clever, uh, very good at justifying justifying it. One of the ones that I kind of grew up around was the phrase, oh, it's common knowledge. If it was common knowledge, it was was open season. If it was common knowledge, anybody could talk about it. Well, that's not true. That doesn't mean that we can speak those things about one another. And oftentimes we hurt people with, with whether things are true or if we are spreading rumors or things that we, don't, that we know are not true. I find when it comes to lying, there's no way to list out every single possible way that we can deceive another person. And so if we want to get away with it or think that we are, if we want to carve out a little place for ourselves, we can do that. We're going to be sinning. If we do that, we're going to be going against the will and the heart of God and the very nature of God. But what I'm saying is, if this is something that that we want to deal with, we've got to really be honest about it. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But there are another hundred ways that we could talk about it. But I hope none of us are looking... Well, he didn't mention that one, so there. No, no, this is where we need to take careful inventory of our own lives. A question that sometimes come up is, can a person of integrity value kindness over truth? Your 11-year-old daughter comes out to you, she spent an hour and a half braiding her hair, and she asks you how it looks. And you remember that picture in your high school literature book of Medusa, <laughs> the things coming out of her head. And now, not, not, just not snakes, but just kind of the hair. And, uh, and what do you say? Is she looking for brutal truth? Is she looking for approval from her daddy? Uh, you know, can we, you know, there are ways for us to be tactful. And we have to be careful going down this road because well, um, it can open up some other possibilities. But can, is it possible for us to be tactful and to be kind? And Wow, that's quite a hairdo, dear. You've obviously spent a lot of time on that. We're going to have some conversations about that tonight, about these kinds of things. Are these, is this permissible when, when, when someone 
uh, is being kind and tactful rather than trying to be deceptive. Does that matter or not? Well, think about that. I know for me there are times, I always talk to Ellen about lessons that I do and get her input afterwards and ask, ask for her critique at times. Well, typically all of the time. But there are some, there are some weeks, there's some weeks, John will know what this is like, there's some weeks when you get done preaching you just kind of want to crawl out of the building as quickly as you can and go home before the last song so that you don't have to face anybody. And when you just feel like things just did not go according to the plan that you thought was going to happen in your sermon. When I have one of those kind of weeks, Ellen knows how to be kinder with me. She knows how to be a little bit more gentle when we have the discussion about the lesson. But then she also knows on occasions to say, so there was a point in that lesson? You know, I, I didn't quite, uh, I, I, I just kind of missed it, I guess. Uh, you know, there, I'm, what I'm saying is, we can answer people according to tact and, kind, and kindness without, de- without deceiving and without stating things that are not true. Um, there was a lady who came up to John Wesley one time and said, you know, the gift that the Lord gave me was I just speak my mind all the time to everyone I meet. To which it's reported, Wesley replied, You know, I think that's one talent God wouldn't mind you burying in the ground. Uh, you know, if you know somebody who just has to walk into a situation and unload every time, it's like, well, you know, we don't have to say everything, do we, that's on our mind. We can, we do have a governor there of, of kindness and tact. And, but that does raise the question, is lying ever wrong? Or is, is there ever a time lying isn't wrong? Is there ever a timeline is justified? Tonight we're going to spend some time talking about that. So I hope you can come back at 5 o'clock. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. Are there any gray areas or not? Is this black and white? Are there gray areas? If so, what principles would a person use in making a decision? So I hope you can be a part of that discussion when we come back this evening. But today, let me just kind of close off by saying this. If we want to be a person of integrity. Just a a couple of things here. And I know we all want to be people of integrity, and these are things that we're already doing. But in terms of our lesson, this is just an encouragement for all of us to kind of focus on this week as we think about integrity. First of all, monitor your heart. This may be an area where we really have to stop and do some thinking about what we say and how we say things. And I want to encourage you I wish we could do this every day at every moment, but let me just encourage you, let me just ask for today and tomorrow. Today and tomorrow, try to review everything you say. Listen to everything you say. Look for any hint of exaggeration that leads to deception. Look for any time where partial truth is being given in a deceptive fashion. Look for any way where you may be saying something to avoid perhaps embarrassment when you should be more forthcoming. Look for any time you say something about someone else that ought not to be said. Because sometimes we can fall into habits with our speech and not even recognize it. And if you and I want to be people of integrity, I think this is one of those areas we have to really spend some serious time thinking about what we say and really going back over the conversations that we have. And, and make, make certain, was that out of line? Was that gossiping? Was that, was that spoken with ill intent? It, uh, did, I, did I rationalize that answer? Should I answer it this way? To really be thoughtful about the words that we speak.
because we may not be aware of it. And as part of that, to continue to be looking to God, looking to His Word, meditating upon His Word, the Word of truth, drawing near to God, the God of truth, worshiping Him, the God who is completely truth, and asking God to show us anything that's deceptive in our lives. Just anything deceptive at all. Any habit or any, any pattern of speech or any situation in our life where we have fallen into being deceivers. I think in Psalm 139 when David is, is thinking about God's absolute knowledge of him. I mean, David just says, God, you know everything there is. Even before I was born. To some people that might be a frightening thought that God knows absolutely everything. But I love the end of the psalm where David says in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. David is saying, God, I want you to probe my heart. I want you to look into it. I want to know, is there something wrong? Is there something deceptive? Is there something in me that isn't right with you? Show that to me. Lead me in the right way. And I think for us, as we monitor our hearts and really consider the things we say, and we're we're meditating on God's Word. We're worshiping Him with a heart of praise that we, that we ask Him, God, expose this in me. Help me to see it. And if it's possible for you, I would encourage you to make yourself accountable to someone else. Someone that's with you a lot. Someone that knows you well. And my wife, that's, in my life, that's typically been my wife. There are things I do that I don't know that I do. There'll be something that I'll say, and, and Ellen will say, do you realize what you just said? It might, it might not be deceit, but do you realize how that sounds? Do you realize the effect that might have? And I'll say, I, I didn't even realize that I said it. And then I, unfortunately, sometimes an accountability person, it's not like you're trying to transfer responsibility, but I'll say to her, you know what, I'm obviously doing that. I don't want to do that. Could I ask you this week, if I ever do that, will you just like, you know, like wave your hand or give me a key word like dope or something? <laughs> you're like, you know, what are you doing there? There you go again. It's like, would you help me? I don't want to do that. And having a person who knows you, who, who has your best interests in mind, someone that can just walk alongside of you and say, hey, uh, did you mean that? That can be so helpful. And what happens is when, when you really give yourself over to this, to, to looking into your own heart, and you examine your life in light of God's Word, and you're asking God to help you see things about yourself, whether it's this or any other area in your life, and you ask someone to help you be accountable to that. You kind of own up to what's happening and you ask for that help. What happens in our lives as Christians is that God is there and His Holy Spirit is there to do His job, which is to convict us of those things so that we can repent and turn from them and see what we're doing that's wrong. Jesus talks about the convicting work of the Spirit in John 16 to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but the Holy Spirit can be alive in us to help us see when we're not being what we ought to be. This, this is real. This will happen. This 
quote-unquote works. It's the spiritual dynamic of really opening up your heart and life to God and to a trusted Christian friend and to God's Word and to the Holy Spirit. And folks, God will answer that request and God will help us see those things and God will help us by His power to change those things that we cannot change on our own. If we don't do this, I believe we're just quenching the Holy Spirit and resisting the work that He would want to do in our lives. We need to monitor our hearts. And just one last thing in a positive way. Use our speech to encourage people. Use our speech in positive ways. I think one of the best ways to overcome a sinful use of speech is to use our speech in ways that are good and that are positive and that are helpful. Jim read that passage a, 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 a bit ago, and I let me read it again from Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Paul's saying build people up. Don't say things that tear people down. And he tells us to put away malice and slander, the things that lead us to gossip. And then he tells us to be imitators of God. In other words, to treat one another the way that God has treated us with love. So, encourage people. Bless people. Before you go home today, in your conversation today, encourage someone here. Encourage someone. Bless someone with a kind word. Something that's on your heart. Something that you've been thinking. Maybe it's somebody you've been meaning to say something to for a long time and you haven't. Bless someone with your words. Encourage someone with your words. Build somebody up with your words today. Let's that be a habit to us. That's such a positive way. When we engage in speaking in ways that build people up, and help, the last thing that we're going to want to do is to say something that's deceptive or tear anybody down. And what better way to use our words than to share the good news of the truth with those who don't know the Word of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. If you really want to talk about a positive thing to do with our words, share the message of the Gospel with the people that we meet this week. Talk to people about God. Talk to that neighbor who's having an issue or a problem about the strength that God can be in their life like they are to us. Talk to that friend of yours that's been kind of, kind of dancing around the whole question of faith. Talk to them about your faith in Jesus. And talk to them about the ultimate truth of who God is and how God loves them. What a positive way to overcome a negative use of our speech by being positive. Because we're essentially like Israel is in the church. We're called to be a community of integrity. A community where people tell the truth. We are not going to deceive people within the community. We're not going to deceive people without the community. We want to be like God. We want to be people of truth. We want to be led by the spirit of truth. We want to use our words to encourage one another, to build up the family of God, to reach out to the lost. We want to be part of that community that reflects the nature of God. And to know that the blessings that come from being a people of truth and the problems and the consequences that we avoid when we put away deception from our lives. 
You know, Satan's lie about deception is that we gain an advantage. Have you ever gained an advantage from a lie you've told? An advantage that wasn't about that fleeting? That didn't crush your spirit? There is no advantage to be gained. That's the lie of Satan, the father of lies. Freedom is found in the truth and in a relationship with God. So as the church today, let's, let's continue determined to be people of integrity, to monitor our hearts, to encourage others with our speech. And we would say to our friends who are here today, who may not yet be Christians, all we would want to do today is to point you to the truth. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the truth of this universe. The love of God for you. The sending of Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to bring you back into a relationship with God. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe that today, and if you are ready to trust His sacrifice, His blood, His death on the cross, as the only power to forgive your sins, as He took your sins and your deceptions and mine upon Himself, if you're ready to put your trust in Him, we invite you to step into the waters with Him. In that very faith, be united with the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and in baptism. And be buried so that, as Paul says in Romans 6, that old person of sin can be done away with. That old person of sin is gone, dead, and buried through repentance and baptism. And then you're raised up, Paul says. Filled with the Spirit of God to begin a new life, to begin that life of transformation, to grow as a person of integrity, to begin that process in your life of God working in your life to transform you into the image that He bears and has shown us in His Son. As we sing this song, that talks about how, how God has changed us and how He has transformed us and who we are now because of Him. And as we praise Him for that, if there are any who need to come to the Lord for forgiveness, for salvation, or any need that you may have, we invite you. Let's stand together.